275. That's the amount of days that we have gone without Knicks basketball. And that's going to change this Friday as the Knicks will be back to face the Detroit Pistons. And with that, we are back to the Knicks Wall Podcast presented by Whistle Sports. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me as always, Kyle Maggio. Kyle, what is up? Not much, man. Uh, Just excited. We're actually getting somewhat real basketball this week. Yeah something to actually talk about and have a reaction to instead of hypotheticals and 2K. It's nice. Also joining us, very special guest, Quentin Haynes from TKW. Quentin, thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to have you. So let's get right into it. Season should start Friday, barring any COVID weirdness, which can never be ruled out these times. So far, training camp started, I believe, last Tuesday. There were some player interviews. Just real quickly, guys, were there anything from the player interviews? I knew, I know usually it's a lot of, like, typical talking points and nothing exciting, but did anything catch your ear from player interviews? I mean, just the thing that we were touching on right before, you know, we started rolling here. But um, the only – I mean, everything sounds pretty ho-hum. Everything sounds pretty – you know, like, I, obviously, you're going to love hearing that – R.J. Barrett has a chip on his shoulder. You're going to love hearing that R.J. Barrett wants to make the playoffs, and you're going to love that, especially in a year where there's a play-in tournament and that the 10 seed matters. Like, again, I said it to be funny on Twitter the other day that I'd be insufferable if they made the the play-in tournament. But, like, honestly, that's what it's there for. And if they're a young team and they could play somewhat meaningful games, like, it is what it is. Like, I'm going to be excited about it. So, it's stupid. The bar is low. The bar is hell. But, hey, it is what it is. So hearing that RJ say that was fun. Uh, Austin Rivers had some nice comments too about, you know, it's not popular to come here, but some guys got to come here and want to build. But again, these are all things you expect at media day, especially from some of the fresh faces and guys that got things to prove. So uh, nothing wild. I think just stuff that as a, as a biased fan, I like hearing, but the only thing that gave me any pause was uh, the Julius Randle playing with OB Toppin comments. Um, Don't love that. Uh, I think, you know, we touched on this last pod, Mike, but even if they don't trade Randall, it's not the end of the world because there's enough minutes to go around and enough, you know, even good pairings with both Mitch and Noel that there's really no reason to ever play Randall and Obi together. So I, I don't really understand uh, even asking um, or even thinking about those guys playing together, but Randall's over there saying, yeah, you know, I think we could play alongside each other. We play, you know, well, you know, what else is he going to say, basically? because that's what, how you're always going to respond in most situations. You think you can play with all your teammates. So that was the only thing I didn't love. Um, th- you know, it was kind of floated out there a couple of weeks ago about them maybe trying to be at the three, and, you know, fans weren't happy about that, nor should they have been. So um, I think that's the only thing that anybody raised an eyebrow at. Other than that, I thought it was pretty straightforward, ho-hum type of uh, training camp talk so far. Yeah, it wasn't nothing too crazy, nothing – no, I don't think there was any big headlines, anything from there. I did think it was interesting when Tibbs did his press conference that 
he kind of mentioned RJ and Mitch as like the two young guys out of the pack that he's really interested in working with. Obviously, we know that since those are the top two young guys on the roster. I thought it was interesting that Mitch felt the same way about working with a guy like Tibbs. So I feel like that's the combination I feel like we're going to come away looking at the most is can Mitchell Robinson take that next step under under Tibbs? And the pieces are there for him to do that. So I really hope he does it. And speaking of players that go well with Tibbs, Frank Nielakina, he became somewhat of a topic with uh, his future in doubt. Some people got a little nervous that he removed the Knicks from his bio. Was it? In, I don't know if it's Instagram or Twitter, but removed the Knicks either way. The only news that I saw was teams would like would be interested in Frank if he's at a discount price, which you can say that about seventy percent of the league. So I don't. I didn't really buy into it. I think under Tibbs, Frank has a real chance to carve out a role for himself. But did you guys put any stock into any of this going around with Frank? Or I know he's not like the main building block, but still a fan favorite, I would say. I feel like I feel like the, the, we shouldn't put any stock into it. I think everyone kind of thought the Buddy Hill thing was going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. I don't think the Knicks are looking for a trade like that. But I do think it's interesting to keep an eye on because the Knicks just have so many players who feel like they're outside of the rotation but could still play that, you know, I think Frank is someone who, if he doesn't hit the ground running, if he doesn't play well, like he's someone who maybe 15, 20 games in, we're looking to trade him. Um, It's tough because him and guys like Dennis Smith Jr. have restricted rights and things like that. So they'll be here, but they'll be restricted free agents at the end of the season. Like, how do you value keeping a guy like that if he has a bad set of games in this season? Yeah, and it, I mean, that's the key thing is that it's, it's decision time for a lot of these young players. And I've been saying it really for the last year, but like these guys got to really start separating themselves. And it's not about whether you think I don't like your favorite disappointing role player on the Knicks right now. It's about whether or not they're doing enough to improve every year. And simply, they have not, most of them, including the guys that I like. So this is never a biased argument for me. I love Dennis Smith Jr. I got lots of confidence in him. He stunk last year. He forgot how to play basketball. It was brutal. You know, obviously, he's another young guy in the docket here. He's only 23 years old. And this is his, what, third season now? So, I mean, Frank's fourth season, Knox's third season. Like, it's... So Dennis's fourth season too. They're in the same draft with Frank, but it this is the time. These guys aren't all going to be in the roster again next year. You know, it's Frank, Dennis, Knox. You know, these guys got to really start showing that they need to be on this roster moving forward. So to answer, like I guess what I, I felt about that, like that Frank hysteria, I just it feels very normal to me. Like why? What else would the Knicks be doing? He's not an untouchable prospect. If somebody's potentially interested, they're going to have a conversation. He's not all that good for them, so they're going to have that conversation with other teams. They're going to include him in other packages. We've seen that over the last couple of years that he's been in packages. So it's like I just don't understand what what fans are expecting, I guess, here. he's He really hasn't done a ton of improving over the course of three seasons, and he's always going to be in these – rumors if he's not doing something to show that he needs to stay on the roster you know so that's kind of where I feel it. he's just got to be better he's got to be better and these rumors are going to go away but and that goes for all these young guys so yeah 
And the biggest thing from the biggest difference for Frank for me is like there are enough guards on this roster for him to legitimately not play. Like before it always felt like Emmanuel Moutier, why is this guy playing ahead of him? Then right. like, like if Frank comes out and he shoots like forty one percent from the field and like twenty eight percent from three and you clearly see it's a bad fit. Alec Burks and Austin Rivers, like, these guys, like, are legitimate NBA players. I know a lot of people slander Austin Rivers, but he's perfectly fine. Like, these guys yep. would legitimately earn minutes ahead of him, and, like, the Knicks would be better for it. And it's just, like, if that happens, like, there's a legitimate argument that they should probably just cut him in the middle of the season because you're not going to extend the qualifying offer for him to take it, like, $8 million. So it's just, like, same goes for Dennis Smith Jr. Same goes for Kevin Knox. Like, I don't think they picked up his option yet. And it's just like, they have these, not. Guys, these guys got to show something or they got to go. It, it's a new cycle. Got to recycle now. It's that simple. Every two to three years, you got to, this is housekeeping. You're, you're a team that has so many picks upcoming. There's absolutely no reason to keep any of these guys if they're not doing anything. Just, it's just, it's really that simple. It's a math problem at this point. And would, would a buddy trade include, I would assume if it, was Frank included? I'm assuming Randall's going in that deal too. I feel like that would be a no-brainer on every level. Probably just for salary. Yeah. You know, I can't you imagine so? they. They. I mean, they, why would they want him? Why would they want him otherwise? They got badly yeah. there. What are you trying to? So then you just you're dying to have an eighteen, nineteen million dollar bench score. Yeah. Like I, you're probably not going to want to play them together. So I don't really get positionally why you'd want him other than like the salary works and maybe you think you could flip him to somebody else. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's the type of trades they should be targeting because they did do well in securing like the bench mob, but I really still think the number one need is a top score. And I don't think Randall was able to provide that yet. I mean, he did score granted 18, 19 points, but though he got it, it wasn't anything I think that would lead to winning basketball. I will say in Randall's defense, I, I, I like to bring this up because he does get killed. In mm-hmm. Randall's defense, once Mike Miller took over, I sound like a broken record, once Mike Miller took over, Julius Randall was significantly improved from whatever David Fisdale had him doing. In terms of his efficiency, the defensive numbers, things immediately were better for a while under Mike Miller. So clearly he's a good enough basketball player. And clearly, he's talented enough. And clearly, with semi-competent coaching, you can clean up a lot of whatever those issues were. But even then, the fact remains that whatever the Knicks are trying to build on this roster, having him and that skill set doesn't make so much sense. So it does make sense that he would go somewhere else where he could actually do the things that he was good at a little bit more freely. Uh, it, it feels a little bit clunky to keep trying to force him in here to do what he's capable of doing. And then you also got these young mouths to feed that they're supposed to be developing. So it's just, a, as we saw last year, some of the struggles with him and RJ even. It was just like, in, in any of those lineups with the two of them, it was just like, you know, not pretty basketball a lot of times. So I, I don't know. I just don't know all around kind of what they expect to do with him. But uh, he was at least better for a little bit last year. Yeah. And I just think we – I think even even myself, I can admit, I, I was kind of rough on him because you just see Alfred Payton coming down and feeding him the ball all the time. But it's like, this guy took more threes. This guy has tried to, like, stretch his game out a little bit. 
it's tough when you're trying to be the number one option and you're really like the number three, number four option. And I think the, I, I hate saying it this way, but the best thing for him to me is going somewhere where there's a lot of spacing where he can get those stretches on the floor where he's like the dominant pick and roll guy, whether he's handling the ball and attacking the basket or if he's a roll man. Um, I think the Knicks want an asset from him. I just don't think they're going to get it. I think his value is just someone who you can probably move and try to move the contract. Like I, I just don't see who's taking him, like and trying to give you an asset back for him at this point. Yeah. I think that's why he's still sticking around. And because of that, it's not a warning sign per se, but it doesn't make me feel great. It, just off media today, it does sound like Obi Toppin at the three might not happen a lot, but they're certainly going to try it, and Randall will be at the four, more likely than not. And then, to me, I feel like you're just kind of recreating a slightly worse version defensively than what you had last year. And given how good Marcus Morris was for the Knicks while he was here, especially beyond the arc, you're kind of running back last year's starting five if you play Obi at the three opening night. Were you guys concerned about that? Because we talked about it last episode, Kyle. I feel like that is the worst way for Obi to be brought into the NBA. He's going to get turned around by faster wings. I just think it's the best place for him is stretch four. And I don't know why they're doing this. Yeah, it's so, sometimes, sometimes, like, you know how I wouldn't say I downplayed the defensive stuff, but I always like to, like, keep it in perspective. And then there's other times when it's just painfully obvious what's about to happen. For example, <laughs> Christoph Porzingis was always a very good defender for the Knicks by the rim. Christoph Porzingis was not a very good defender for the Knicks on the perimeter. And when you would see him play the four, sometimes he would get dragged down to the perimeter and he would just get roasted. And it's not his fault. He's a seven foot three center and he actually moves pretty well. It's just some guys are just too big to be doing that kind of stuff and moving that fluidly on the perimeter like a little guy can. It's just why those positions are different. So, yeah, like moving Obi to the three, that's all I'm thinking about was like those times KP was young and just getting roasted on the perimeter. And it's like you got to mitigate that. You got, And I don't think playing him up, you know, to the, the three is the way you want to go about it. You'd want to drop him like to the five and let him, you know, be a small ball sender if you were going to, you know, get nuts with it that way and try to pack him into the lineup. But I don't really see why you would want to force him that way. And it's like, to some degree, I could understand. And again, this is where I go with the Knicks now. It's like, I can at least understand to some degree what they're thinking sometimes, I think. And uh, I think they see some of the ball handling that he can do. And they see, you know, how fluid he is, like trying to pull up. And I I think they're talking themselves into him being more of a, perimeter threat in the NBA than maybe he actually is or is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like reason to be cautiously optimistic about some of those things like his handles, but I think like sort of immediately implying that he can do that position from day one is going to be bad news for him. And then it puts his defensive flaws on full display for the world to see. I, I don't really love it, man. Um, I really think if, if you're going to have Randall just, Play Obi off the bench. You make sure he gets 20, 25 minutes a night no matter what and never let him play with Julius Randle. And I think you should be able to do that with this. You know, they have enough guards right now where I think that they can do that with ease. So, I don't know. I, I It would make me very concerned if that's what they were thinking, like, out of the gate. Yeah, it's one of those weird 
it's weird to me because it's just like I can't imagine a scenario why you would need both players on the floor. Like there's never going to be a, like with Randall Rand is for his faults he can score. RJ can score and you can produce offense. I can never see a situation where they're just out out firepowered to the point where you need to get all those guys on the floor. Like to me, I think Obi coming off the bench to start his career is perfectly fine, especially considering it's going to be 72 games. I think the thing for the Knicks that they need to consider more is like the Dennis Smith Jr. Obi top and link, because I feel like that spread pick and roll would be huge for Obi. And if Dennis Smith, and same for Dennis, if they can just get him more explosive looks to the rim. Like I just think the Knicks, they do this every regime where they do one or two things at the beginning where they just want to tinker. And it's just like, you don't need to do that. It doesn't make any sense. Well, what if they, what if the idea, I mean, we are myself included, we are just jumping to the conclusion that Randall and Obi equals starting lineup for Obi. What if they're tinkering with the idea of, but then they have Noel blocking it, but Maybe would Randall at the five as a small ball five, something I wanted them to do last year. It's a defensive disaster. Don't get me wrong. But if they want, if like if they're down by a lot of points or just want to play fast, does that make it somewhat more appetizing? I do think in spurts, you know what I mean? Like, look, I'm down to try out almost any, any lineup in spurts. I think this is 2020. It is to some degree positionless. I understand that much, but you got to think like, the skill set's got to make sense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't know that Randall and Obi are going to make too, too much sense together. Like, if you play Randall at the five and Obi at the four, and then, I don't know, like, after, the, like, some kind of small ball combo from there, like, I I guess. I, I just wouldn't love I, – I just don't love forcing uh, Obi in on the wing in any capacity. But I, I think if you're going to try to make, like, a death lineup, like, yeah, I think you'd have to do, like, Randall at the five, right? You, then you do Obi at the four, and then I don't know who you try at the wing if it's just like a, a Alec Burks because you know he could score a little bit, and the Knicks are kind of shallow at wing presently with Knox not being very good, Dotson not being here anymore. We don't know we're getting out of Frank, um, so it's like what you run Dennis at point if you're going to try to play faster because you know Alfred likes to slow it down playing the half court, and then RJ at the the two, hopefully, unless you play RJ at the three. Yeah, I'm about like, to say I bumped RJ up, and then the three. Uh, what? And then quickly at yeah. like somebody like quickly at the two, and then just yeah. try to bomb the hell out of everybody and sprint. Like or if rivers. you do something like that, like look, I sound like a broken record, and everybody thinks like all I care about is points per game. But like this team is always dead last in offense every single year. Every single year, they're so far behind with points, and I get defense. But I can't worry about defense if we can't ever keep up with points. It just makes no sense to me. So if they're going to do some kind of lineup like that, sure. Like, let's get crazy. If you're leaning into trying to score a zillion points and the lineup can make some kind of sense, like, yes. I'll talk as – long, as long as that's not the, the only lineup. You know what I mean? Like, you got to use that at the right times. But, yeah, I could, like, talk myself into it. No, I'm right there with you. I do think – the weird thing about Randall at the five is I actually think Nerlens Noel is probably the ideal option at the four. The spacing will be always be an issue, but I actually think because Noel can kind of step out on the perimeter and defend just a little bit, that that would make a little bit more sense. But yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna get crazy in the first few weeks of the season. I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it. It's gonna it's gonna be jokes either way, but I wouldn't hate it. Hey, they have no national TV games. There's nothing to feel embarrassed about. One. I would try they got one. Everything. That's right, against the Nets, right? 
They got, yeah, they got ESPN. one, I believe. Yeah, and I believe the first half – it's just the first half of the schedule. We'll get into the schedule in a second, but it's just the first half that was released, correct? Oh, uh, yeah. Full slate. Okay. Well, the, well, I don't know. I think the national TV schedule was only the first half. Uh, a quick tangent real quick on Christmas Day. It is actually disgusting that the Detroit Lions – I wake up every Thanksgiving – and I watched them get slaughtered. And it's always embarrassing, nine times out of ten. But Calvin Johnson was there is a little better. That's no problem for anybody. Everybody's fine with that. Knicks, Christmas, big fucking deal. So they play at the same <laughs> time. So you, can't, so you can't say that, oh, they're ruining my Christmas. You're, it's, it's at noon. Both games are at noon. And football is way more excruciating when it's a blowout. Yeah, I mean, I don't get it. I, it's and people are like celebrating, like John Hollinger was like, "Yeah, no Knicks." It's like, dude, shut up. I think the worst thing that fans and media do is talk about the the nationally televised games. This is my my take. But Christmas Day now, it's like a big I, now. Day. Like, look, Christmas, I understand, I understand, and even for the Knicks, but I mean it like both ways. Oops, I mean it both ways, like. In the sense that, like, who cares if Knicks fans want to see the Knicks on Christmas? There's a lot of Knicks fans. Like, it, that's just how this works. Like, the same way that Lakers fans would want to see the Lakers no matter what. Because that's just Lakers fans. That's just how it works, even when they were bad. It's just the name of the game. There's a lot of fans. So, it's like, I, I never understand why people are, like, concerned about it from – either angle because then it's like i understand why we didn't get the game either it's like i mean it is what it is like you get to a point where you're bad enough where they just take you off at least for the nba that's how they work so you know you don't like it we got to be better i'd like to start seeing them on christmas again but I, I they were fine with us winning 32 games a year that was perfectly acceptable once we you know dip below 20 uh, they said no more i get it it makes sense to me to some degree but uh, i hear you mike like i i think you know, it's, I, it's I would just, like to think – I, I would think once they get to their next level of mediocrity here, I don't mean that in, in a slanderous way either or some sort of derogatory way. I just think whatever the next step is this next summer, because you know that they're going to have to trade or go for somebody, uh, yeah. whatever that step is that gets them back into the 30-some-odd wins, um, then you're going to see them back and then probably for the foreseeable future on, like, Christmas and the holidays again. I just think they want the Knicks to, like, just stop being so – like, like knowingly you earn it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't mm. just like, like it, it's been like a really bad brand. Like, and I, I want to see them trust me. Like, and I do understand like the noon game, it was the best part of my day. Cause like for me, Christmas hasn't, hadn't really started yet. I just kind of like chill my own business. I watched that noon game. It was over. I can actually start and enjoy my holiday. So it was like, it is what it is, but they gotta be better. Oh. Yeah, that was my thing. My the two things I, I just didn't care about with the national TV games is with the Knicks and Christmas. Like, I hate saying it this way, but like seeing a young star go into MSG and like put a show on is like cool. Like I used like the Knicks have been bad for most of my lifetime. That's all. Like that's really the Christmas game for me. Like and even in the Mellow era, when guys used to come in and show out, like that's cool to me. That's not a problem. I think that. I think that stage is missed on Christmas. Cause like I would rather see Zion in MSG than see Zion versus the heat. What is that matchup? You know what I'm saying? Like if you're putting Zion 
on TV, put them in MSG. Even if the Knicks stink, you get the 120-86 game out of the way, and then everyone could go see the competitive games later. But, you know, and the second thing is I just hate the discourse around national games because we then have to pretend like we have to give these teams that have one star, like, a, like no offense to Memphis, but, like, you're not going to get 13 national games because you have John Morant. We should – should we see more John Morant? Sure, but there is no correct way to break that down. It's a business. And, and I, I love seeing – my favorite one is when people are like – like, and, and I'm, tr- I'm really trying to be nice because I've seen people that I like and respect complaining yeah. about this too. And, but, like, people have really been intentionally stupid about the Zion discussion. Like, really, like, intentionally confused – intentionally want like fit like fake wondering about why like like i don't i don't understand why uh the nba is giving them so many games it's like guys (laughs) did did we did we forget the lead up to the draft did we forget like did we forget like yeah like are you like are we he had a camera named after him yeah are we forgetting even a little bit that he had millions of ig followers in high school like i mean what are you like? What are you doing? He broke a record for his debut in, uh, on uh, his NBA debut. Like people, especially Americans in this country, they want to see him. Like that's just what it is. It's just a fact. I don't know why everybody's acting surprised that they got so many games. He's the most exciting young prospect, the most explosive in, in quite some time. People want to see him. He's gonna get a, a ton of games. It's just the way it goes. When LeBron came into the league too, LeBron was getting tons, tons of nationally televised games. This is what happens. This has always happened. What are, we surpri- what are you guys confused about? Yeah, it's in a way, it's like professional wrestling where you have to build up a talent by putting them in front of the national audience. This is no different. And Q, I can't agree more with what you said about the young star. That's the perfect way around it. And that's the way they should always look at it, where it's like, oh, who's going to go off on MSG this year? It builds that- up a storyline. It's And then the other storyline is, oh, well, the Knicks finally win a game on Christmas. Like, there's way too many W's here for, I don't know. I just but then but then they complain too, and then they say things like, "Oh, well, you know, Atlanta didn't get enough games, Memphis didn't get enough games, uh, the Nuggets didn't get enough games." It's like, guys, there's only so many nationally televised games. You're not going to be able to break this up the perfect amount every way. Like, like they gave the Suns a bunch of nationally televised games, right? Mm-hmm. And the Suns are Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul. Why? And I mean, that's a pretty young team along with Chris Paul, no? And it's like we're just going to gloss over that, you know, because we got to worry about, well, also Trey Young. Well, also John Murray. It's like, look, I love John. Ja. You guys know that I'm a big John Murray fan, but like, again, there's only so many games. There's yeah, only so many, there's only so many stars. Like everybody needs a little bit of time. Like yeah. it, it's just, it, it, some, some teams aren't going to get a fair shake. That's just the way this unfortunately works. I, I wish mean, it wasn't that way, but that's how, what, that's how it is. Look at how Luca was brought up brought. I think Luca was brought along perfectly from the national television game because we didn't see him. We saw him enough his rookie year, but last year you started to see more. And then now this year, you'll probably see him just as much as the Lakers. I think that's how you do it. And that's perfect. You know, I just think, and again, no shots to anyone who was mentioned in this, because I feel like there's specific people and popping in my head as we talk about this, but it's just those games will come. We'll have, we'll have, I'm sure they'll be able to flex some of those games out. I'm sure if the Hawks are really good, they'll get a couple games. They'll be in the playoffs. You know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, I think Memphis is a little too early too, in regards to 
putting them on the national limelight. I think they are going to be very good, but let them do it first, you know? Well, but, but on top of that too, like, like you said, like th- there's going to be other opportunities, like you said, like the playoffs, but also look, we're talking about a play-in tournament this year. And we saw how, you know, crazy the bubble playing games got and how the, the race for the eight seed in general kind of went when they were in the bubble. So it's like, I'm going to assume that those are going to be a, it's going to be some combo, some swath of young teams and talent fighting for those last couple of seeds. So yeah, why wouldn't those games be really, really good? And of course those games are going to be nationally televised. So it's like you do some, you take care of some kind of business and get into the playoffs or just get close. And you're going to be playing at least four or five more nationally televised games. It's very, very simple to me. Like if you guys are that as good, then it shouldn't be a problem. That's kind of where they should be anyway. And another thing that does bother me, if Obi Toppin starts to have a good week, or I hope this happens, I should say, if Obi Toppin hits the ground running and just starts dunking on people or doing tip-in dunks or whatever, I guarantee, I hope the NBA feels so stupid for that schedule. <laughs> because no, that's, the, it's, it's exciting. It's but like, but that, it, it is. But then, again, it, and I'm, I'm just – I'm really being level-headed, but, like, the NBA will absolutely flex – because that's what happened with Chris Stapps. Chris Stapps came out, and then they were like, oh, all right, we got to get we gotta get him out. I think that's why they gave us one. I think that's why they gave them one. I think they're like, all right, let's test the water. But, he, but even then, if he comes out, right, and, and he's playing a lot of minutes, he's killing it, you know, be- better than everybody thought, you know, kind of out of the gate, they're going to find at least a game or two to get him back on. Because that, then it's the hot Knicks story. It's the same – anytime – like, you know how it is. The, the Knicks, everybody pretends that – you know, the, the location, the, the brand and everything doesn't matter. And honestly, it's hard for it to a lot of times. But mm-hmm. once a break like that happens, Mike, as you know, like things start to take off around here. And it's like the NBA would find a way. Like you said, a flex here, a flex there. They would figure out a way to get Obi at least a game within like that week or two that he was feeling it. Yeah. Well, thank you for divulging in my anger on that tangent, but we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills, and get back into some Knicks. All right, welcome back. Let's get back into some Knicks talk. So the season starts for the Knicks, the regular season, Wednesday, December 23rd, against the Indiana Pacers. Then it's the Philadelphia 76ers at MSG. That's the MSG home opener. Which game excites you guys more, and do you think – Either is winnable because I Philly depends on it. They usually treat us like ass, but Indiana's an interesting opening matchup, I think. Um, only thing I'm going to say about Indy and the reason why I think it's winnable isn't really from like a talent perspective. It's more so a math perspective. Um, Indiana refuses to shoot threes, much like the Knicks. So therefore, by default, I feel the Knicks are going to be in those games because Indiana kills you. They're like – they kill you with twos. They just – they love like little tiny daggers. They just love – they're very efficient, but they kill you with twos. So, I, I just get, – I get the feeling that the Knicks are going to, like, win one of those indie games. They don't scare me for whatever reason. Um, they, they're definitely a better – much better team, but they just don't scare me. So, uh, the Philly game I'm actually concerned about now that they have a, a better head coach and uh, what's likely to be a better offensive system and spacing. So, uh, Philly's probably going to beat our brains out, but I do think Indy's not very scary. Yeah, and I was looking at the schedule here, and, like, that early start is a little bit concerning. Because even, like, the Cavs game on the 29th, 
Like the Cavs came and beat the Knicks up a couple times. I think the Pacers game is that. I think the Pacers game is a safe one. That that opening game, I think that's a safe one. Uh, it's going to be interesting for me to see what Tibbs' rotations are. Um, I think the Pacers are going to be a weird team this year, so we could just catch them and, you know, start it off right. But there's not a lot of hope starting for that first, like, five-game stretch. I'm excited for some Oladipo rumors to bubble immediately. That's one thing I'm looking forward to. Philly's weird because, like I said, they really don't treat us well. I'm not looking forward to Milwaukee, which I believe is the third game of the year. I think the opening stretch, the Bucks are going to come out and punch people in the face. The the, the, the Bucks have hold us in recent years, man. Like, like <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to last year was. I'm, I'm like just going to. I'm just going to keep it like a buck with everybody. Like, I'm not trying again to to be the the pessimist here. Like, they've legitimately hold us since basically that KP game. The the one, obviously, we all know which one I'm talking about. So, yeah. like, that was a vicious night for multiple reasons, and then. Since Did he dunk on Tim, Tim, uh, Timmy that yeah. same night? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a, I can't remember. I know. That's maybe – like, like, I'm not trying to be funny, but that's like maybe one of the worst nights in Nick's history. Like, <laughs> I, like it happened at MSG. Like, I'm not I'm, – no jokes, no jokes at all. Like, that's – for that to happen to you after, like, KP going is like, that's – I mean, wow. What a – like, if you were in attendance that night, like, you, you feel bad for having been there. You know, you you spent money to support what happened that night. Like that's a that's a rough one. Then they gave us like a fifty piece last year. It was like crazy. Yeah, exactly. It helped us get rid of Fizdale, so I kind of thank them for that. But yeah, for anime fans out there, that was literally Frieza versus Vegeta first time. That was bad news. Literally just grabbed us by the hair and just punched us out. That was no. Nah, but the the rest of the games in this. You know, like I see people talking about it, like the the Knicks got a hard schedule, they got a bad break. But right. I wanted to get into that. Do you? I think like, that's pretty basic schedule. The Knicks are just bad, bros. Like, like that's why the schedule looks hard. The Knicks are just not good. They didn't get screwed. Uh, I'm sorry. They if they have to play more road games, but um, if there's anything that the NFL and uh, you know the MLB taught us was that with empty stadiums, there's been absolutely no home field or home court or. Uh, any kind of home advantage. So I'm not really – I get, like, you still got to travel. But even then, it seems like the NBA is trying to do more regional-type stuff so that these aren't, like, overly difficult uh, trips, I feel. So I guess my point is I don't feel this is, like, a brutal schedule at all. I just think this is actually a pretty decent schedule. Like, you get Indy twice. Um, you get the Cavs. You know, it's not it's not that – unreasonable i think you get a lot of like mediocre-ish teams in there too so of course you're gonna have to play some good teams and there's less you know games this year too so it, it, you kind of jump right into it with some of these teams so it's, it's not great but this is what you know it, the young team i'm trying to get back on track this is what you got to deal with and you got to find your footing amongst all of this this season so we'll see where they they stand very quickly mostly dependent on how Tibbs is going to roll out these lineups but do you think we actually tweet the scores out when we lose games this year? You have to. The first, the first ten games, they will because they have to treat it with some sense of normalcy. And then I think once you start to get to like fifteen, twenty, if the season's really going terribly, if it's a lot of blowouts, a lot of ugly games, you're going to start seeing it. And if if I'm exaggerating with how soon they do that, then it's definitely after the All Star break or whenever the All Star halfway point of the season would normally be. 
then, then they will have officially uh, rolled over. One potential rough patch, I'm just scrolling through the schedule now, is like the beginning of February, they'll have the Blazers, Miami twice, Washington, Houston, Atlanta. And Magic might be good depending on what's going on with them. And then it kind of tails off with with the Spurs and the Timberwolves to close out the month. But that seems to be like the if, – like if things go left, it's going to be around that stretch. The rest of it's kind of like good, bad, good, bad. Like they face the Celtics right before – and they face the Cavs right before the Celtics. Before, and then they play the Hornets before the Nets. So I think it's good enough balance where they're not going to get blown off the floor every night or shouldn't because that would be a very bright red flag. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean – oh, go yeah. ahead, Q. No, my bad. I was going to say that's just sort of my fears. That it's just I don't, I don't know when that – I don't want to say quit button, but when we flip it over and start thinking about next year is going to happen, just because I, I, Tibbs is here and I, he's always going to want to compete. This is a, it's a. I think the Knicks are going to be better this season, but it's also like kind of a weird season. I don't know how to. I, I mean, look, there's there's going to be stretches. I think obviously there's going to be harder stretches. I don't know when the actual give up's going to happen, but like to be honest with you, like I'm looking at the month of January, for example, and like. It's not, it's not that brutal, yeah. you know. Look, I mean, you get Indy, Atlanta, you know, Utah. I mean, they're they're a good team, obviously a playoff team, but like you don't know where they're going to stand out west this year either. Um, OKC is like in super rebuild mode. You get Charlotte, you get Cleveland, Orlando, you know, Sacramento, like Cleveland again. Like there, there's enough games here where if, if Tibbs has them playing like just even, it doesn't have to be like. You know, we saw this with Mike Miller last year to a lesser degree, but, like, he didn't have them playing, like, amazing or even really sound basketball. They were just playing, like, not garbage basketball mm-hmm. sometimes, less times, and, like, it dramatically improved what they were doing. Even a lot of their win-loss like their win-loss record, like, they started to actually pick up some steam under Miller for a little bit. So it's like, you know, it really isn't unreasonable to, like, look at a month like January and be like, yeah, I mean, they could take care of business theoretically against some – other not great teams some mediocre teams like you know and especially I know we talk about things like they they didn't get the nationally televised games right but like they got MLK day at noon at home again which was nice you know I don't know about you guys but like for me that's always been one of my uh favorite basketball holidays I just like the you know what the garden usually does and uh it's usually just a good day and there's been a lot of good Knicks games on over the years too and I just like it being on you know Monday 12 o'clock it's always been a good easy watch so I, I don't know man like I'm not like as grim about the season yet I just got to see what like I don't think Tibbs is a great coach I just think he's a better coach than they've had which again the bar is hell but you know there's a chance they're like semi-competent I just need to see what like the the initial kind of lineups are that's why I'm excited for this week I, I never care about preseason ball usually because the the starting lineups are usually kind of easy to figure out. But this year, like, I got to see what this guy's thinking. Because that's going to, like, really change what I feel about this schedule. But, yeah, if they can – not to bring another football analogy, but it is a New York analogy where the Giants – where the Giants aren't great yet, far from it. But recently they've been watchable and in games, which they're not going to make the playoffs this year. But if the Knicks can do something similar where they're in games – and playing the right people. We talked about this last episode, but if they're losing games or even in games and losing closely 
but you have Alfred, Randall, Noel. I mean, not so much Noel, but Randall and Elf mostly. Closing games, I don't think that's something I'm going to be too happy about. But if they're losing games, they're being pesky, and you have Dennis Smith waking up, Frank finding a spot, Knox finding something, OB, RJ, and Mitch playing well, I think that's a good season regardless. And I think Tibbs can at least get a couple wins out of that. Yeah, I think that's – if we have a season where we're not – we're I tried to put this in the piece I wrote about the offseason. I just couldn't fit it anywhere. Like, I'm cool not having the top pick in the draft if we're having games – if we're having weeks this year where it's just like fourth quarter, final five minutes, the Knicks within six. Like, those are valuable lessons that are available for the Knicks to learn. And at some point, you start turning those into victories. Like, if we start seeing RJ playing well and Mitch playing well and OB fits like a glove and these guys are doing the right thing, I'm fine losing draft position if the kids are taking steps forward. I just I just want to see that. You know, I think this is another year where it's just like, I just want to see some of these young guys actually live up to their billing so we can start to have a foundation for future seasons. That's probably the best way to put it, man, to be honest. Like, and, and I've said this to Mike in the past too, you know, similar thoughts about the draft positioning, but it's like, for me personally, and I think for a lot of fans, like we at this point could not care less who does good for the Knicks as long as somebody starts doing good for the Knicks. Like, like, yeah, obviously, you know, dream scenario is all these guys progress and take steps while they lose games and they get a top five pick. And that's another, you know, you hopefully you get a transcendent talent that really, you know, is the cherry on top for this rebuild. And then 2021, you have all this, you know, cap you could spend on these, you know, good vets and skill position players that fit around these guys. And we, we know what this, you know, the dream is, but it's like at the same time too, in the present, you still invested a, a top three pick on RJ, a top 10 pick on uh, Obi Toppin. You know, you got Mitch in the second round, but, you know, he's clearly shown tons of defensive impact and promise. So it's like if all these guys like, you know, go gangbusters to start the year, they're going nuts or they're on fire. You know, they, they're the real deal, basically, where they're taking big, big steps or making big leaps throughout the season. Nobody, I don't think, is going to really care that they lose draft position as long as they see like, OK, we have something legitimate. Like, you know, and again, not, not to make this like a, a KP thing, it's just more so how we felt when we realized like, Oh, okay. He's at, he's an actual legitimate, very good NBA player. Like you can see that that's going to happen. You know, when it all clicked for us, we're like, ah, okay. He's not just like, like a project, like, Oh, okay. He can actually play. Like, I think if we just have that moment, you know, like RJ shoots the ball a little better and we're like, Oh, okay. Well, that concerns God. He, you know, he's a little bit more legit in our heads now. And Obi comes out and he's like every bit the score that you're hoping he's going to be, you know, rookie year. And it's like, Fans are just going to be excited. Like, it's that simple. Like, we just want to see somebody start putting together, like, competent, exciting winning basketball or what could be winning basketball very soon. You show fans that it doesn't matter if you lose a, you know, position with the draft pick, uh, you know, a little bit. Yeah, I've had a bit of an awakening on that because I was a very pro-tank guy, especially this year with the top half of the draft. But lately I've kind of, like, caught myself and just seen – Twitter and other areas where you can watch Knicks news. It feels like Groundhog's Day where we talk ourselves into certain people or worry about the draft pick. It's just like we have to break the cycle at some point. It's just I feel like every year for the last three years has been the same where 
one half of the fan base is like, ah, I don't, I really don't want to win games. And then the other half is like, screw tanking. Let's make the playoffs. Let's play veterans. I just want a nice new reality. I mean, that's kind of what I was trying to enter last season as um, I, I remember, you know, we talked about it a little bit back then, but I was like, look, not for nothing, but like you have enough young prospects now where I'm just rooting for you guys to win games and be good. Like, it's not like, oh, okay, Kevin Knox is the only real prospect right now. You know, him and Frank are the only prospects on an otherwise, like, totally torn down roster and team, and they're just going to, you know, get some reps and go out there and, and whatever. It's like th- there's actual guys coming in that are somewhat polished and you have expectations for. And when there's enough of those guys that you've picked up over, you know, the first couple of years of this, you know, second version of the rebuild uh, – at some point, it's like, yeah, man, you know what? Like, I am now rooting for R.J. Barrett to do really well in his second season and Mitchell Robinson to do really well in his third. And, um, you know, Obi to come out and be great in his rookie season. And Dennis Smith Jr. is still a young prospect. I hope he gets back. It's like there's enough guys now. You know, like I'm not rooting for everybody to be awful and tank again. Like I am rooting for wins. And if it they don't get that early on and it's clear that they're just as bad again, then – okay, we know what to do. We've been here before. We're here every year. But, like, right now there's enough young prospects that it's like, okay, you brought in the veteran coach, the the guy that you brought in because you know that he gets results and wins games, and that's what you're trying to sell us on. That's the next step. So that's what I'm rooting for. I want. I would like to see it. Show me how you guys think you're going to get there. And then if slash when you don't, then okay, it's, it's business as usual around here. Yeah, it's it, R.J. Barrett. It's very likely that R.J. Barrett is the highest pick we will get during this so-called rebuild, or it should be, because at a certain it's point, you got – I mean, it, it's a top three pick. Top three picks usually indicate something. Like, if it was just straight eights and nines, I would kind of get the premise of, all right, let's tank for the big prize. R.J. Barrett's a top three pick. If You're not going to want to develop him. You're not going to want to develop many people, which is where you get into the savior syndrome where – you kind of hold out hope that Kawhi gets pissed off at Paul George or Anthony Davis decides he doesn't like LA, which is not happening. So you got to just hope and pray right now that RJ Barrett takes that next leap. And I guess this is a good point to say, where do you, what do you guys think a next leap is for RJ? Because last year he wasn't bad as a rookie. He averaged 14 points a game, shot 40%. That's the key for him. He shot 40% from the field. 32% from three. QI, you had a piece, I believe it was you, for his second year leap having to do in the playmaking department. So what is – I'll start with you. What is a leap forward for R.J. Barrett? I, I honestly think the, the leap forward for him is just shooting a little bit better from three and kind of getting some playmaking reps under his belt. It's weird now because they kind of have the point guards to kind of take that away from him, but – I think in some lineups with, alongside Frank Nelikina, you kind of saw what he can do in that you give him the ball, you give him some space, you let him get downhill, let him get to the line, you know, let him attack the basket and let him try to get some points there. I, I was a little bit concerned only because when watching like his attacks at the rim back to back to back, he didn't necessarily attack with much force or much of a plan sometimes, but like, to me, like, those are little things you can work on. And if he can shoot well from three, then we're talking about a guy who, you know, even if he takes five threes a game, he hits 35% of them. He's not the most glamorous three-point shooter. But if you combine that with, like, six, seven free throws a game and 
you know, I think he played decent defense as a rookie. I think Dude. he can be a better defender this year under Tibbs. I think that's the underrated part of his game. We're looking at, you know, a nice piece. And, like, the Knicks really need that. So, Mike, you know how you like the – not you, but, like, you know, sometimes, like, the Frank fans will throw this propaganda in my face, like uh, – Oh, you know, to, to close the year, you know, he, he actually was improving a little bit. It was very slight, but, you know, they mentioned the 2010 game. And, okay, I'd like to introduce you guys to some real propaganda. This is the RJ propaganda. This is the real, like, meat and potatoes here, okay? This is the propaganda you guys can actually get behind because when I read it to you, I don't have to convince you. You just immediately look at that and go, oh, that's just good. So post-All-Star break last year for RJ Barrett, 17 and a half points. He was shooting above 45%, four and a half rebounds, 3.1 assists, and a steal per game. Also, last season with RJ Barrett, he was one of only, and these are actually per Tommy uh, Beer, you know, pulling some uh, fancy numbers for us. But RJ Barrett was only one of only seven players in NBA history to tally at least 800 points, 250 rebounds, 100 assists, and 50 made three pointers before the age of 20. The other six were. Kobe, LeBron, Carmelo, Jason Tatum, Luca, and Kevin Durant. I am not saying that it's a concrete thing that he's suddenly going to be all those things. However, there's enough fingerprints in different areas that, for me, that's that's really meaningful, you know, cherry picking that I can get behind. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how I want to see him close the season. They traded Mook post All Star break. He comes out and he's just killing it, killing it till COVID happened. So, yeah, I, I'm behind that because the guy I saw to close out the season last year was much more aggressive. He was running a little bit more. He was out in transition a little bit more. And that's how he needs to play. That's how he's going to be a most you know a successful NBA player. And you see the numbers when you let him do that are very, very obviously better. So, for me, I do – that's why I'm so bullish on him because he was good defensively for a rookie anyway. You know what I mean? The playmaking was there on a team where they were packed in like sardines and the spacing didn't make any sense and guys would crash and trail at the wrong times. Like, and he was still making good passes and good reads a lot. And it's like, yeah, there's things to work on, but it's like, I saw enough in totality and he compiled enough with so much, you like in spite of so much that it's like, I'm all set, man. Like I, I really do think something's there. As long as Tibbs uses him even like halfway correctly in versus the what we saw last year, I, I think we're all set here. I do think that there's a – I don't know what his, his ceiling is basically, but I just do think at, at worst you're going to have like a very good starter, you know, like a, like a, just a, like a high-level, very, very good starter. He, does, he just does too many things, and he's too yeah. smart. That, that's, that's what I'm getting at. And he's so young that it's like – He's, he's like 20 years old doing all this stuff. This isn't like when everybody's trying to convince me about Frank or Knox every year. Like, he's, he's 20 already doing a whole bunch of things. Like, yeah, this is a guy I can talk myself into the jumper because we've seen stretches where he's, you know, actually shooting it well. So, I don't know. I, again, biased for sure. I have more belief in him for sure. But I, I just think there's way more there than people are letting on. And he works really hard. That's the one thing that I think, we kind of don't we, – we just can't put a price on, I think. Maybe not a price on it, but we can't really equate it when we look at the numbers. It's like this guy is working really hard. And from everyone and everything they say, like this guy's always in the gym. This guy's always playing. First first to enter, last to leave. Sometimes he doesn't leave. 
you know, and I think that synergy between him and Tibbs, I think that's just going to click. And his IQ, though, I just, I never want to, like, that's probably my favorite part is, like, he's a smart basketball player. Like, that's all that I've been asking for for the Knicks for a long time. Like, just get somebody who, when he's on the floor, understands, like, the flow of the game. Like, he, he's not as fluid as you want in every department. I understand. Things are a little choppy with him still. But, like, when you watch him, he's not, like, just dribbling with his head down or aimlessly. Like, you could see he understands, like, where the ball has to go, where the right play is, when he should attack, you know? He's not perfect at it yet. But, like, he just kind of gets the game of basketball a little bit more. So, I'm – between that and how hard he works and all these little things that I've seen him do, I think whatever he molds himself into is going to be a very good player. I just – I'm still unclear on, like, what that ceiling truly is. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what it is, but I do like – another thing that he shares with Thibodeau's ethos is he really doesn't dwell – like, if he's having a bad game shooting, he's not going to just – Shell like, like some of the other guys. Yeah, like he just keeps. Some, he, he just, he's not afraid to shoot. We've seen how many like two for eleven starts that we see last year. Right, and that's fine. I mean, like obviously it's not great. You don't want that, but that's just part of being a top scorer for your team. You're going to take a lot of shots, and some nights you're going to have two for eleven. I mean, obviously this is they're not comparable, but Luke is a great example of somebody who still shoots in the neighborhood of where RJ shot. I mean, rookie mm-hmm. year, they're close. It's mm-hmm. all about attempts. Obviously, Luca is a savant, and RJ is a very good player. But you you get what I'm saying? Where they're still taking like the numbers are still not great, but Luca's just doing stuff. And I have at least confidence RJ can at least get to something similar. I'm gonna fumble with this, and again, this is why I think when people say that I'm overly negative about the Knicks, I laugh because then I do things like this for guys like RJ. But it's like there's guys who have like that. Not LeBron. LeBron's like the the god tier perfect example of it. But those those guys that like just have the all around effect on the game, and you see like the Lucas have it, the Hardens have it, where like the Russes have it to like a lesser degree. Where it's like you see when guys can do just a bunch of things, passing, rebounding, scoring. Like how far that goes to just set your floor for a team is the best way that I could word it. And that's kind of like what I see for our. It's like I don't know where on that path he gets to, but like when you're doing all of those things enough, yeah. Like the, the efficiency matters a little bit less because you're contributing elsewhere a little bit more, you know? So I got to see more from him obviously this year, but it's like, that's kind of the vibe that I get from him. He's a guy who could, you know, best case scenario, Tibbs is working out for him. They're using him in the right lineup. Best case scenario. I could see something like that start to happen where it's like the rebounds pick up, the passing picks up you know, that opens the scoring up a little bit. And all of a sudden you're looking at a guy who's creeping towards like a 25-5 type average. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's when you can start to get excited for him. But I think if you're just looking off his like post-All-Star numbers, I think that's kind of what that indicates. 17 17 and a half, you know, four and three is kind of like on that climb towards that 25 and five. So I I see enough there for a good all-around player. I'm just curious to see if he's going to, put it together because I feel like we can all see and maybe he can see too what that next step is. I just feel like he just got to go get it. I don't know. It's the best way I could put it, but like it, it's a, a good safe floor and it's very attainable for it. The guy that interests me in terms of maybe an RJ comparison, it's going to be tough because RJ is just going to have more of an offensive role. I think, I 
I feel like Jalen Brown, for some reason, just stands out to me. Jalen Brown's a little bit better of an athlete. RJ is a little bit more of a playmaker. But when you mention that, like, choppiness in the, in the, ga- in the game, that, that's the one person that really stood out to me. Like, one of the biggest issues with me with RJ is that there's no wing player that I can point to and say this is who he kind of looks like. And but now that you mentioned that choppiness, Jalen Brown's, like, the first name that comes to mind. Because I feel like from that second year to his third year, Jalen Brown, who was literally just a night and day player every other game, even though he was improving. So I just kind of want to see some flashes. I want to see some. I want to see some games where we're like, this is an RJ game. Oh, he has twenty points in the third quarter. RJ's coming strong. I want to see that. And I think Jalen Brown's kind of a player that he can like imitate. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I think the the first test for me at least is his free throw percentage. That has to be the first area he addresses. Last year he shot pretty poorly. I believe the low sixties. So that's got to go up at least to 70, ideally 75. If he can fix that part of his game first, because that, like you guys said, he's choppy. He's not going to overpower you. He's not going to dunk over you. So a free throw, the free throw shot has to be a part, a big part of his arsenal. So if he can correct that, I'll have a lot more faith in him. And I really just want him to hover, flirt with 20 points per game. And I do think a free throw an improved free throw is the first way to get there. And then you worry about the three point shots. Cause I do think I am bullish on his three point shot only because I feel like most of his bad attempts, even dating back to Duke were when he was like trying to do too much with himself and he just never set his feet and just, you could just tell it felt like the end of the shot clock almost, but it wasn't, but he had that type of rush to his release and just gather and everything to his game. So I do think with more catch and shoots and just better shooters around him, I think he'd become a plus shooter. But like I said, free throws, big point. So as much as I would love to keep talking and gushing about my beloved RJ Barrett, speaking of catch and shoot, as Michael just pointed out, Q, you wrote a recent feature on uh, the sniper that is Emmanuel quickly. What are your expectations for that young man this season? Because I know Myself included to some degree because I'm excited to have a guard that can shoot over 40% from, you know, three, you know, three point territory for once. That's a very nice thing that we never have. Um, but where do you, what do you see for him? Because I see some people are a little bit bullish on him being able to play point guard in the NBA. I'm a little bit skeptical uh, with his handles anyway. I think he's probably just better served as a, as a two right now. But what do you see for him? And Mike, you know, follow up after that, you know, what are you guys' expectations just in general for that guy this season? I hate saying this, but I don't have any expectations for him. I just think there's so many players in front of him that unless Thibodeau decides, like, I have to put this guy in the rotation, I think it's best not to have any expectations for him. But this is clearly a guy who's an elite-level shooter. He has the size to be a good defender. Another guy that seems like he wants to be in the gym, he wants to work. Um, I think this is a potential 3 and D guy that, you know, can come in, play a little defense, space the floor. He's something that the Knicks have needed for a while now. I just don't know if he makes the year one impact, but they got to get him some reps. I think you have to get him some point guard reps, whether it's in Westchester, you know, when they send the G League bubble, or even some late season point guard reps just to see if he can do it. But if he can do it, then you have a really nice player in your hands, maybe someone like Bruce Brown who just got traded to Brooklyn. But 
if he can't, he still has the shooting and defense you can kind of lean back on. Yeah, I think second half of the season player is the best expectation I have for him where he's starting to get into some games. I really see the early part of the season being Alfred, maybe Dennis. So it's going to be tough for him. He would have to see the floor as an off-ball shooter, which I think is possible, and especially we don't know what's going to go on with COVID. Like there could be a night where two starters or two key rotation players are out. So I do think this is a good year to have a bunch of players that could be a rotation because you never know what happens. We saw it with the MLB and the, now the NFL where things can happen quickly. So not to – no pun intended, but I really do think he can find the floor. Same thing with Miles Powell. That's a guy I'm really interested about. I want him to be everything I wanted Alonzo Trier to be. And Powell has the scoring pedigree to do it. So that's another player that I would have interest in watching play. And I think this year offers a lot of opportunity for that. Yeah. Uh, Powell does excite me. Look, they, you can't survive in the NBA. You're not going to win games if you're not scoring points, especially if you're not scoring points from the guard position. So somehow, some way these guys are going to have to get playing time, you know, just, it's just the way it is. Like Austin Rivers, I think is a, perfectly competent NBA starter. I think that wouldn't make me very angry. But at the same time, if he's playing insane minutes over these other guys or blocking them, you got to try them out. You got to just see any any prospect you picked up that has scoring upside, if you're the Knicks, especially from either of the backcourt spots, like you got to let them play. You got to just see what they have. You just have to, especially quickly, who's a first-round pick. You can't not play him either is my thing like that's fine if he's not going to play as much but he's got to be in there he's got to be in there he's a shooter you need shooting that's why you took him you got to give him a shot so that's my only stance on it Uh, I'm trying not to have expectations in terms of starting or not but it's like you got to work these guys in especially a guy like Powell who you know like Mike just said about being what he wanted Trier to be and it's like at the end of the day I get people knock Trier for the defense and everything. And I think there was plenty of, of gripes that everybody were, you know, it's perfectly fine to have, yeah. but at the end of the day, they needed that shot creation that he had and that shooting that he had. And everybody loves to talk about, Oh, well he, you know, was a ball hog or whatever else you need guys that are going to be able to look for offense and also not for nothing, but he shot over 40% from deep off his catch and shoot threes. So it's like, he was still a good enough offensive player that needed to be out there. You need guys like that, in my opinion. So it's like, you know, not everybody's going to be a perfect defender, but as long as guys can, like, survive a little bit on the floor, that's asking a lot of these rookies. But if they can go out there and they could score a bunch of points, like, it, it's worth it to see how far that can take you, is my point. Like, that's kind of where you're at. Because it's like, you've tried Frank out a little bit at PG. You've tried Dennis. You know what Alfred's going to get you. It's why you re-signed him, because it's a safety net. You know exactly every night what you're getting. So it's like, those guys got to break out a little bit. Hopefully they can prove something, but they got to get, you know, at least some kind of playing time. And, Mike, that was actually a good point about the COVID. So I do think that at some point is going to play a factor and, you know, even for this situation. So, Yeah. And what do you guys think, just to cap off on expectations, I believe Mitch, we're all in agreement. If he can just move the offense out, that'd be great. But Obi, what's like a successful season for Obi? Something similar to RJ, where he's averaging 15 points a night because right now he doesn't project to be 
a rim uh, glass cleaner rather or a rim protector so what is what's that point per game you're looking for like if you're putting in an over under bet what are you setting the line at probably i mean i don't know that we're gonna have to go with the assumption that he's not starting yeah i I would go with that so knowing that he's this is probably a bench year at least at this moment in time for him uh, that we can see, and he's probably going to be playing 20-ish, 25 minutes, I would hope, thereabouts in that neighborhood. Um, I think a reasonable line for him is probably going to be somewhere like 13 points. You hope he gets you like five rebounds or so off the bench, four or five off the bench. And then, I mean, that that even might be a little too optimistic, to be honest, if he's playing off the bench. But I think mostly you just want to kind of see him, you know, break double digits, hopefully with ease not be a nothing on the boards. And then I would hope you're going to have him shooting threes. And if he's shooting over 30% this year, uh, his first year, like somewhere between like 30, 33, I think that's a pretty successful rookie year. You know, obviously I'd like to see a little bit more than that, but I don't want to, you know, think that until I I know he's going to start. My thing is more with the attempts. Like what Giverman said on the, the pod last week, Give me four threes. If you can give me four three att- three point attempts a game, just show me that there is an idea that he can be a stretch three, a stretch four from there. I'm perfectly fine. I show us like, the plan. That's all. Yeah. Because he'll just because like I, I didn't like when I was tweeting about it before. I was just like, because this guy, could this guy shoot? And that's largely because when you're covering the draft and stuff like that, the attempts matter more than the actual percentage sometimes. But this guy clearly takes a bunch of shots at the rim. He takes a bunch of threes. Like, we can come in and do that, play a perfect game, and then we can look at year two and be like, okay, well, we know RJ taking his steps. Mitch is taking his steps. The mitch and combination should work, work well. Just got to see him put it together and shoot some threes. Yeah, yeah I think we're all in agreement on that. And I think – if we can just end the season, regardless of win-loss, feeling confident about RJ, Mitch, and Obi, I think we're in a good place. Regardless, like I said, 2021 stacked. So if you don't make the playoffs, having a top 14 pick in 2021 is a very good position to be in, especially when you have a lot of assets. So I wouldn't even focus. And this is coming from a guy who loves the tank. Don't focus on it. Don't set yourself up. Just let's enjoy what's going on now because – I feel like that hasn't happened in a couple of years. Yeah, and, and I, I, I – oh, go ahead, Q. No, I was just going to say, and my thing is just like just looking at a lot of these draft guys' boards and stuff like that, like there's so many wing prospects in this draft that I just think if we get a top three pick, we're going to be excited to get one of those point guards, but I'm very excited to get one of these wings. Like Scotty Barnes from Florida State is like six – he was one point guard for Florida State last – like a couple games ago, and I was just like, this guy's on the Knicks. Like, he would be insane, you know? So, I just don't – I just think it's so early in the process. You don't want to get caught up. And I know Kate is amazing, but there's so many guys out there. Yeah. I, I think the main takeaway, you know, for this season is that this is the last real go that they're going to do with this rebuild, in my opinion. Because it's like they have enough picks the next couple of years that whether they take a swing for a star or they sign somebody or hit big this year in the draft, it's like – there's enough that you could fall ass backwards into a decent situation. And I just feel like they're going to start to do that. So it's like, you know, 
I'm not really worried in the draft about the tanking thing because it's like I think there's enough good prospects that you could just go BPA and then you're going to have enough cap where you could try to sign one of the very good players in next year's free agency. And then if not, you still have more than enough picks and young guys now that you'll be able to try to package something together to try to get maybe a point guard on the move from somebody somewhere else. So it's like there's going to be options just from the assets that they have at this point too. So I'm not overly concerned in any direction. So it's like, you know, let's just start to see some leaps from some guys, see what happens from there. And hopefully we get lucky for once in the draft. It'd be nice. You know, we could have like a Pelicans move up or some shit, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. And on that note of the rebuild having to be over coming to the end, I want to get into that, but going to take a quick break real quick and get into that rust trade because that does have some effect for the Knicks. So there was a big trade in the NBA lately, and it didn't involve the Knicks, but it involved a player the Knicks were tied to, Russell Westbrook. Essentially a one-for-one deal between Houston and Washington. John Wall to Houston. Russ Westbrook reuniting with Scott Brooks in Washington. Were you guys a little disappointed now that you – now that Russ to New York is pretty much dead, were you a little disappointed that we didn't get Russ or you're happy with it? And do you think another big trade is on the it's on the cusp for New York or just in general? Um, I mean, I was just glad the Knicks didn't end up at least with the John Wall contract. I think the Russ contract, even if you didn't want Russell Westbrook, he's a floor raiser. And whatever that floor was for the Knicks, I think fans would have probably gotten behind him. Or he's easy to root for, uh, especially on a team where he's not having to fit in with like another superstar. So I, I think fans more or less would have gotten on board no matter what. Even, but at the end of the day, I'm just kind of glad that we didn't have to go through all that and you know potentially put ourselves in a jam we have to get out of. So um, I, I'm fine having passed on it. I think actually seeing Russ in Washington with Beal is, is probably a, a better match for him than PG or anybody. He's probably, I mean, Harden was, you know, as good as it was going to get, but I, I think Beal's a perfectly fine spot for him. Somebody who's going to play a little bit more off ball, assuming they don't move Bradley Beal. They might, but assuming they don't move Bradley Beal, I, I like at least on paper, the, the pairing there. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I thought it was interesting. I'm curious to see what these teams do now, but it's interesting. Yeah, I think it helps the Wizards a ton. I think the Wizards are going to make the playoffs, to be honest, because Westbrook, the upgrade from West, the Westbrook from Wall to Westbrook is just, I mean, it's literally taking a player who hasn't played for two years to someone who, despite his lack of shooting, still gets it done every night. And when you combine that with Washington's roster with Davis Bertans and Bradley Beal, they got a couple of guys who can shoot. So I just think that that ability to run some pick and roll and create some open shots in the corners are gonna is gonna help Washington take a step forward. So I mean, I, I from a nerd's perspective, you know, giving up the future pick when both of these guys are probably gonna be, if not in the twilight of their careers, retired at that point. I'm not a big fan of, but Washington, you know, they added some top ten picks over the last few years. They have some upside. They have some guys who could potentially develop into nice pieces. They're not giving up a lottery pick right away. So it's fine. I think the Wizards are going to make the playoffs and be a fun team. And I think after years of not being good, they could take that. Yeah, I agree. And I think 
people forget the all NBA and Russ being bad in the playoffs. He was a good player last year for the most part. I didn't particularly like him for the Knicks for every reason to do with shooting. I think the floor spacing was legit, but golly, right. It would have made the team infinitely better. Maybe as much as 20 wins. I don't know if that's getting over zealous, but I feel like it's manageable to say that Russ would have at least had the Knicks flirting with the AC. Like there would have been talk about it, but I do think this does signal Harden leaving more than Beal. Like I don't think Beal's going to go anywhere, but Harden should be there. And I think the Knicks should be in on it in terms of being that third team because whatever team Harden wants to go to or Houston wants to wants him to go to, chances are the salaries aren't going to match. I mean, unless – am I off base on this? Because what teams are really interested in? Brooklyn, obviously. I mean, Bro- Brooklyn. Brooklyn and I'm sure Philly is still tremendously interested. Yeah, Philly was a big if, one. If they're, if they're interested in – they're interested in the shooting guard. Whoever the shooting guard is going to be that they can get, they're going to – I think that's what people are maybe not realizing this year. They cleaned up that roster immediately with Maury there so that Horford was gone very, very expeditiously so that they could try <laughs> to get somebody in there who makes more sense. And who else would make sense except for all the guys that have been rumored? You know, Buddy's been rumored. Harden's been rumored. Beal's been rumored. All those guys – are somebody that you'd want to play between and off of Embiid and Simmons, in my opinion. All different kind of fits, but all guys who give you at least an element of elite shooting or shooting and just elite offensive abilities in terms of playmaking and and piling up assists and and generally just scoring. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, if the Knicks can get their hands on James Harden, you go all in. That's just how this works. James Harden's – I said this a couple of pods ago. He's an automatic 50 wins out east. If you can get James Harden, you get whatever it costs right now. That's just the name of the game. I'm, 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 it's, very, it's very, very simple. You can yell at me all you want. Don't really care. You go all in for James Harden. You win a whole bunch of games while he's here. You change the trajectory of your franchise. Whatever happens after that happens, hopefully it's a beautiful segue into something else successfully. But that, that's, that's what you do. Um, Beal, I've, I've openly wanted in on for quite some time. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't. I understand people do the defense thing. Uh, and again, I urge you when we're that That's yeah, they do. Embarrassing. Yeah, That's no, NBA Twitter is a big deal that he does. He, for as much scoring as he had to do last year, he didn't play defense enough for their liking. So they yeah. had to, they had to dock him points, which to me, uh, I, Again, that's right up there I, with Booker for blast. I've, I've said I've said this on this this pod numerous times. I, you know, it it's trendy. Like if if guys are scores, we have to take away that clearly scoring outweighs defense. And on top of that, that volume shooting is unfortunately a skill. Uh, I, I, people don't want to hear that, but taking a lot of shots for your team every night while being the focus of the defense is exhausting. Uh, it you it, for a lot of guys, it's very hard to do on both ends at a very, very, very high level. That's why there's generally more offensive stars that aren't as good on defense. So uh, it, it's just if you could do enough, you know, offensively, it outweighs it. It doesn't. It's never fifty-fifty. Everybody acts like, oh, well, he gives up just as much on defense. Uh, the Wizards were bad all around. Bradley Beal had to score a zillion points. It's very, very simple what happened last year. So. That's the, the best way that I could put it. And, again, defensive statistics are generally very rough reads at best. So uh, if guys are, are able to score in bunches like that and play make, you should try to get them is my 
hot take. I have a disgusting trade offer that I want to pitch or question. Let's say Golden State, which could be a Harden. 100%. All right, Q. So who are you taking back, Draymond or Andrew Wiggins? Because one of them would have to be on the move or probably both. If you're the Knicks and assuming assets is coming or and Julius Randle will be shipped out, who are you targeting? I am going to go with Draymond Green, and I know it sounds gross because Obi's there, but we're talking about Russ changing the culture. Draymond, I don't know. I'm just loyal to him because I like that Warriors team, always did before they blew up. I think his type of mentality would be desperately needed. I don't think I could be dead wrong on this, but his contract isn't crippling and wouldn't interfere with anything that would throw off the franchise's plans. Am I crazy or just disgusting? I, mean, I think Draymond would be a tough fit here, to be honest. I only he seems like he's very manic, and I just don't know if the Knicks have the infrastructure to take somebody. It's like if Jimmy Butler came to the Knicks. Like, he would just – his his personality is so overbearing that it may just be a bad fit. But I like Draymond Green. He'd, he'd, be, a, he'd be a positive. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the other side of the – so this is where I'm at. Um, it, it's mostly contingent on if Randall would be gone, first and foremost. Oh, yeah, no, that's, then, that's part of the deal. Yeah, yeah, so if Randall's gone, then the fit is still kind of icky, but then it's mostly dependent on what are you doing with Obi? Because you can do, you know, little mix and match on offense and defense between those two. They don't have to play the same position, so to speak, or have the same matchup, so to speak, on both ends of the floor. Um, so you can you can disguise things move like it wouldn't be great but I guess my point is there's worse things in the world than having one of you know the Mm -hmm. best defenders in the league and one of the brighter you know IQs in the league I I would say uh, on your team I think like if if Randall's gone we're getting an asset you know we're taking back the salary I I think that's there's worse situations you know and I think and and then I think you could still probably move Draymond if you needed to and I don't mean that in a way like he stinks I mean that in a way like somebody who wants to win basketball games is still going to be interested in their services and uh, there are no untradeable contracts in the NBA contrary to what people on the internet like to make you believe so somebody some way would be interested and something could get figured out so I would be okay with it Um, I think you deal with the personality thing because I just think like it I think there's enough positives you can make it work. I don't know. Just but. just seeing him versus KD eight times, I would sign up for that. You know he's going to – I know KD would like to try and play it off like he wouldn't get in his head, but I know Draymond's going to get in his head immediately. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, the Harden thing is weird because I, I just think a lot of people are overthinking it. Like I think – I know he's older, but, man, like this is one of the – three best offensive players in the league easily probably the best offensive player in the league just pure offense yeah best shooting guard since kobe is that not or uh, wade best shooting guard since wade so and the thing is is like he's he dominates the ball so he's more of a point guard and he never relies on his athleticism that much so like yeah he's like what 30 31 like you can play till 33 and play point guard and play some spread pick and roll and just create and get i mean like I mean, we're just going to age well. 
No, but we're just seeing even now how, you know, LeBron's been aging and even how Chris Paul has kind of aged and still been like pretty all around effective, you know, when he's healthy. So it's like, I don't know that I'm like ever concerned when guys hit 30 anymore. I don't really bat an eye at like 30, 32. I start to bat an eye now when it's like 34 ish. Then I'm like, all right, now we're getting, you know, maybe he's got two good years left. And then like, that's kind of like the, the more modern era thinking in my head anyway. It's like that. That's when I feel like these guys that have been affected for the last decade. That's when they're going to start to, you know, to actually decline if they haven't had really any uh, injury trouble. So, so like I think Philly, like I think the Nets trying to play the whole leverage game. That's insane. I just yeah, think Levert. He's just going to offer Ben Simmons, and it's going to be called the day. Maybe they, maybe Houston gets the pick out of that as well. But like the Nets should be trading all their non-KD Kyrie pieces to try to get James Harden today because he's that good. Yeah, I think wall, the wall trade kind of turned me off to what I thought would have been a win-win with Harden for Ben Simmons swap, essentially, because you put Simmons around a bunch of shooters, he can play virtually point center at some times. I feel like that would have been a great thing, but now Maury's in Philly, so I feel like that trade just lost all of its appeal to me. I really think Harden's going to stay West, though. I could see L.A., Clippers. I could see Golden yeah, State. I, I asked I about think, the Clippers the other day. The only issue with the Clippers is that if you do, like, Paul George. For, it's Paul George, yeah, 100%. It'll be Paul George leaving. Yeah, he's leaving. Yeah, but see, what, he, he has an opt-out after this year, right? Yeah, yeah. but get that fraud out of here anyway. Like, yeah, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm so corny. If if I if I'm if I'm LA I can't oh I would be waiting by the phone for Houston to, to call me up and even consider that offer I would be waiting by the phone to drive <laughs> Paul George down to Houston just waiting I yeah you couldn't I couldn't say yes fast enough if I that, was LA that whole Doc Rivers like video like it was so Avoid me and then everyone and then everyone who had synergy pulled up the fact that he was lying about it it's just like. <laughs> It yeah. just came off so it just came off, came off so corny to me. Like, yeah, you are a superstar in this league, and like star criticism. It's fine. Star, star, relax, he's kid. Not, star. He's, he's not. He, there's there's no super. Okay. Okay. <laughs> star. I don't know what's what? going on with his shoulder? Hopefully, that's why he's been so. N- N- Mike, Mike, no. Okay, let me stop you. Okay. The, the, every year we do this with this guy. Every single year. <laughs> every single year, there's a, there's a there's a reason why. Paul George didn't have the season that everybody thought he was going to have. There, there was a reason why he, he didn't come through and, and close out like an MVP when everybody wanted to be an MVP because the shoulder. There's always a reason. Somebody always ends the season. Like something always goes wrong. It wasn't Paul George's fault. It's every, any, anything but Paul George's fault. It's always somebody else. Somebody gets thrown under the bus. Something went wrong with his body. And like I do feel bad to a degree. I understand to some degree the injury stuff is real, but it's like, the amount of times he's got to go back and point to something being the issue and that, oh, well, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for that, it was just a bad shot. You know, I, the shoulder always flares up at the right time, right? It's yeah, always- the, the, the shoulder <laughs> thing. Like, I, and I hate being that guy. I really do. But, like, I, I, I can't stand it with him anymore, man. Like, well, it's just such a bozo thing at this point. Just, yeah, just has- go play – Go play basketball. Like, and I understand even, like, the mental health part from the bubble. Like, I'm not trying to be, like, mean, but, like, that has nothing to do with you being a bozo and throwing people under the bus, man. Like, some Doc was the scapegoat. We knew somebody was going to have to get fired. 
when you lose in unceremonious fashion like that. But there was reports since the beginning that the Lakers weren't uh, the Lakers, sorry, the Clippers weren't buying anything Paul George was talking about. They rolled the, his, their eyes at his uh, pregame speeches or postgame speeches. Like they they didn't want to hear from him. Like they they didn't like his you know his uh, treatment star treatment he got. Like I think people respected Kawhi and then we're just like, well, why is this guy getting Kawhi treatment? This guy's he gets sent packing every year. Well, what do you mean? What he, he we we lose in the first round too? We lost in the first round last year. Like, why why does he get the why don't we get that treatment? What the hell? So I I don't a bozo man a bozo. He has, he has big dork energy to me. Big just, dork yeah. energy. He's the type of person who should opt out and go to L.A. and be like a nice little third option, quiet, and just mind your business and collect your ring and keep it moving. Just play, play the J.R. Smith role, man. Everybody used to slander J.R. Smith for not doing more. I think that guy had the best NBA career. Are you kidding me? He, he just floated around as like, a, as like a, a dope sidekick. That was it, just an exciting dope sidekick. and was like, hey, I'm not a star. Don't expect me to be, but I'm going to be here. I'm going to shoot some threes. I'm going to score some points, and it is what it is, man. That's it. He really he's is got- like an Alex Moran type person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like just embrace it, man. Like, stop trying to be this this fake star. If you don't have it in you, you don't have it in you. But like, you know, embrace your role one way or another is the is the best way I can say it. Like, I'm I'm just tired. He's fraudulent, man. I've, we've seen him in too too many different scenarios now that I've I've lost faith in him. So he's got to earn it back, man. Uh, yeah. Speaking of things I've lost faith in, the New York Knicks City jerseys that were rumored were god-awful. The best part of the jersey was that it was a black set of unis, and also they had that nice NYC patch, that Nike patch. But the jersey was so awful. It was a circle. Uh, that's What did it say? The city that never sleeps? And then, like, the right side, it said, like, New York Knicks – but it was like a gradient. So like half of it was like dark orange into blue that you couldn't read, followed by dark blue on top of black jersey that was like nearly impossible to read. So you can't really read what was on the circle uh, with a surrounding a white number. So they were just very – we wanted black jerseys, but not like this. Yeah. Not like this. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand what was going on with those jerseys. I, I, I just, there's so many talented artists in in the city. I just can't, I refuse to believe that they can't find someone who can make a pretty jersey. And I know this isn't a safe space to mention this, but I like the Nets Basquiat jerseys and the shorts. Like we've gone back and forth. <laughs> I, I've done my traditional thing where I've come out firmly saying they were awful, as I do with. <laughs> I mean, no matter I mean, what. Let's, let, let's be honest. An overwhelming majority of the city jerseys. I, my first, re- my first reaction at this point is, oh, this is an atrocity. And then, like, I have to sit on it for like three or four days before revisiting it. So, <laughs> I, I felt that way about the Nets. But in fairness, I have mostly remained that way. But then I saw it on KD, and I was like, there's a chance that this is gonna look pretty cool when they're playing. So, I at least I, I don't. I, I I I think. Yeah. I, they get an A for the idea. The execution, I'm, I'm not – I don't know if it's just because of the first pictures they put out, a lot of it was like close-ups of it. And it, I don't know if like yeah. seeing it, seeing a close-up of it was like for the way that I was going to love it. You know, now that I saw it on KD where he was like backed up a little bit from the camera, I was like, I, 
I can appreciate it a little bit more. I think it pops a little bit more. Uh, it makes more sense that way. So I'm willing to see if I need to retract my statement when the games begin. As a Jersey nerd, I was furious at the design for a few reasons. First, it seems like every other team mailed it in this year where it was just city name and their colors. The Knicks could have done that and brought back the token logo, and that's it. Everyone would have went apeshit. If it was literally the same jersey, just in black, with a token on the back, I think people are going nuts. Are the token on the front extra large? Fine. The other thing is there are so many themes New York offers. The subway, I know a guy that can help them with that. The skyline. Literally anything. Put Yankees the colors. Liberty. Yankees yeah. colors. Liberty yeah, colors. Like Rangers colors. Your MSG brethren. Like they, they no, actually it. just do what the Mets. The Mets black jerseys I think are one of the most underrated New York jerseys. Period. My favorite jersey. Do that. Do but, that but, exact jersey. But to that point, and I'm saying you know there's enough good independent artists and guys that do a good job. Like again. As always, you've heard his name a thousand times, whether it's on Twitter or on this podcast. But Ryan Gray does a great job of making these types of things. We've seen great him make a, a, a great subway jersey, and it was gray. I'm not big on gray jerseys, and that one looked really good because there was a lot of good colors that popped. Um, but even, you know, Grant, uh, last night, I think Grant Goldberg. Uh, he kills. He kills it. And, and, you know, he did one. He did a black set where it was almost yeah. exactly like Mike said about, be, you know, just being like the Mets. It's the same colors. These are great colors if you put them you don't even have to do anything that that's what bothers me like you you can do bare bones but just putting a black set of unis with the blue white and orange and just like basic kind of font layering shadowing like (laughs) without going nuts like just the most basic just new york and then a white number nine with some good like a black letter a little shadow behind i mean it was just simple simple and you're, you're over here doing gradient into dark blue on top of a black jersey that nobody can even read for yeah, what? It's just ugly. It's it's I mean, impractical. It doesn't even make sense. I mean, what I do we? So I hope they scrapped them. I hope. Yeah, because yeah, they're the only thing not on sale. Like, like give us a Yankee gray. Give us the Yankee. Like, just make like the Yankee gray. And just, like, make some, make, just make something cool, bro. Like you got to make something cool. Like they they tease us with like the black. They tease us with the throwbacks. You know, remember uh, last year. They tweeted they uh they had like uh, Julius Randle and like a graphic like a cartoon graphic and he was wearing like a the '90s Knicks jerseys. Then they they uh, tweeted us asking which one we'd want to see, and it was That's like that was one of, that was one of the options. And they're like, oh, this is the one that won, and it was like clearly and obviously the '90s. So like you you keep hinting at it, and they're like, okay, and then we start to get excited. We're like, all right, you know, we start to like rub our hands a little bit, and then like they reveal something totally different. It's like, why? What what, were, what yeah. was the plan? I thought we were doing a rollout here. Like it's if you guys think that's fine, give us something fun. You got to meet us halfway. At least give us the throwbacks we want. Give us the black jerseys we want. Like stop doing. Like yeah. stop always trying to like do something different. Like just sometimes you see it with Steve Cohen in the Mets right now. All he's doing is like, oh, is that what you guys want? Okay, that's it. That's it. That's all that's happening. He's like, yeah, okay, that's it. Because all you're doing it is for the fans. So if the fans are like, hey, we want that jersey, you that's it. You just go, okay. But you're you worth you, you're worth so much money. You're the most valuable franchise in sports. If we ask for something, okay, just just go pay for it. Go get it done. That like it's very very simple. We could be very happy with superficial things. You just gotta give it to us, please. And even I'm if begging. the jerseys don't slap, like just give us some a good pair of shorts. Give us a give us a good hoodie. 
Like, they just fumble it on every occasion. And it's just like, ah, come on now. Now, I like, will say, I will say, I did, I did like the last city jersey. I know it wasn't as popular I loved them. with everybody. Those were good. But, but I thought, like, at worst, I was like, okay, it's navy instead of black, but you still, you know, kept it mostly simple, you know, with the white lettering and the number. And it popped a little bit. The players were able to, like, embrace the darker colors a little bit more. I was like, more or less, you did what I was asking. I don't hate these at all. I think they're still a little bit funky, but I think more or less they, they were like a B plus for me. I thought those were pretty good. I liked them more than the uh, the firemen ones from the year before was when they first tried to do the that that same kind of color scheme. But I thought they cleaned it up a lot more. I thought it was worth keeping it for two seasons. And then I thought, well, how would you go so far backwards this year? I thought I felt like you were almost there finally. Like you almost worked yourself to like the perfect black jersey, and then you were just like, ah, fumbled it. Yeah, this was the year to just either play really into your city pride for city pride or just play it safe. Just change the color scheme and just give us the regular jerseys with a different color scheme or just bring back an old jersey because you have the 90s jerseys, you have the late 80s jerseys with Bernard King with the burgundy and blue. Bring something back. It's just like they don't want to get creative, which is bizarre. And maybe, I don't know, I feel like they rely so much on – People going to MSG, maybe now that people aren't at MSG, they should start listening to the fans because yeah. that's who's buying everything. Idiots. Like, <laughs> uh, just annoys me. Yeah. It, so it's not even like that it. hard. I don't, I don't, I don't know. There's I still remember that Kith was involved, though. So maybe that's why the reworking was Kith kind of, I mean, they are a brand. So they should be. Is Frank had a Kith shirt? I forgot who it was. Whoever tweeted this, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but it had I know the exact. Yeah, it's the same. I forgot who it is, but they it was a good point out because it was the exact same as the logo on the top left of the jersey. So if Kith is involved, great, because at least they will have some sense of embarrassment and put out something a little better. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see. Uh, I would imagine if that's really what's happening, where uh, you know that they've scrapped that you know design because of the backlash which again i'm i'm fine with that I, i'm not really like overly worried that it hasn't been released yet i'm that's encouraging to me i to me it's encouraging like if you're gonna delay that even further to be the last ones to trot that out then you're dumber than i thought but if i would hope you'd want that to get lost in the fray like you're not i mean you, they they i know they know what's said about these things you know what i mean so it's like you know what the feedback is so i'm hoping they saw it I'm hoping they're just going to go back to the well, figure something out. I, I would imagine, you know, there was a probably a couple other designs that are floating around that they're probably scrambling to produce right now to try to get out there. So we'll, we'll see. I think this week would be very interesting for that because this is a very accelerated season and we're already behind. So this isn't like you have time to just like sit on that design for another month and then try it out sometime in January before you break it out for the first time. But I would imagine whatever it is, like you're going to want to get it out and sold before the holidays. You know what I mean? So I would imagine this the, week we'd probably start to hear. If it's fire enough, I have no problem with them waiting until the first. Absolutely. It would be genius if they actually did that, where it was just like, hey, this is our new city jersey. This is actually a fire jersey. It's not the one that you saw before. Uh, it comes out during our first home game. So uh, be ready. If they okie doke us that way. I would almost, I would almost be like, I would almost shed a tear for them fooling me for the first time in a while. 
Like that, that would make me feel so good that they okie doked and, and surprised me positively that way. I would just Sorry. never have seen it coming. Uh, it, it, it really truly would be great. All right. To be the Debbie Downer here. Remember last, it was last year. They rolled out the statement jerseys, which are pretty good. And I mean, I know they look like Florida Gator jerseys, but I do like them. I use them in 2K often, but they debuted them kind of like they teased it. And the whole thing was, oh, that's not the real jersey. They just got cucked by the Nets on a graffiti themed jersey. Then they rolled out those same exact jerseys a few weeks later. So I do think this is going to end up being the jersey. Maybe they add a little more onto it. Maybe they refine it. But I'm prepared to go into the season with another lackluster set of jerseys. Nike really stinks, man. I really thought Nike was going to be the uniform gods, and I kind of want well, praying for Adidas to come back. What, what bothers what bothers me is like how I always look at like the Suns jerseys as a, as my like uh, Knicks comparison because I feel like the blue is similar enough to it's like they have a basketball as a big part of it, an orange basketball with orange as a main color, white, and then they have what black. And then they have the purple. And then all we have different is that it's the blue. So it's like whenever I see how Nike goes nuts, like with the purple and the orange and the white and all the contrast and all the different ways that they like layer it and make it look funky, like how the Valley jerseys are this year. And then like, I see what they do for the Knicks. And I'm like, like you guys got to really be idiots up there. Like for the design team. Like, I don't know if this is like a Steve Stout thing. I don't know if it's a more head of Nike. I could definitely see that being Stout. Stout stinks. I would imagine this isn't stout because you probably have to – this probably gets developed like a year or so in advance. Like this probably takes time. So I'm imagining it was before he was like really involved. But it's like – I mean, you like how do you fumble this, man? Like the whole reason the Suns jerseys are appealing is because like those are bright colors that contrast, they pop, they make you – it's an appealing thing to look at. And then it, it shouldn't be difficult for us to be reading our jersey. You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be difficult for us to be like making out what the design is supposed to be. Like the Empire State playing, is such a cool name. You could you could outline so well with these blues and oranges, and you know mix up the different kinds of patterns and designs. And it's like they they don't do anything. They they choose like they go the opposite way, and they do like more mundane, more boring. It's like I, I don't know who's calling the shots here, but like it's it's okay. You guys have good colors. There's nothing. We're we're not really doing anything traditionally anymore. You could do something like last year's that were nice. Those blues I didn't love initially, but like. Even then, like, it's a blue jersey. The, the white pops on it really nicely. The Jordan logo this year looks even better on it. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in on those. But, like, why, why is it then so difficult to do a black jersey? Just make yeah, it happen, get, get crazy with it. Go Even if the jersey that they have now had something else written instead of the city that never sleeps, like, come on. Have, like, if you're going to do something plain, at least have something cool. If, like, like, the Jets have this really cool hoodie, Gotham City Football Club. Like the Knicks do like Gotham City basketball or something. Just get not like do something. All they need to do in that circle is eliminate the phrase. Like there, there's no reason to put. You're just trying to get. That just seems like a, a PR company trying to get cute. You know what I mean? Like and, and trying to slip like a New York phrase on. We don't need a phrase on there. Well, who else has a like? I. It's not even as cool as like Motor City. You know what I mean? That Detroit forces onto their jersey sometimes. Like. It's like a whole phrase that we're forcing on. So I don't like that. I think if they kept the circle and just like made the letters white and put New York Knicks like or New York or whatever they're going to put at the top of the circle, like over a white number, and then you use like the blue and the orange to like make that pop a little bit, you know, whether it's the trim on the, the, the font or something like that around the circle. 
I, I feel like that right there cleans up like a majority of the issues. And then even if you don't, even if you don't love it, you still think like that's a pretty decent jersey. That's fine. That's acceptable. But like you gotta just it's like a really quick cleanup. Like that's the only way I could describe it. Like this should like with these colors, it shouldn't be that difficult to fix. A couple tweaks and you're good. Um just just uh it just seems like everything is in the negative direction and it's like these jerseys are just just takes a second to fix them. Don't get it. Yeah, well you can say that for a lot of things with this team, but I think that's a good place to leave it. We will check back in when the Knicks have played a real basketball game. But uh Q, you got anything on tap for this week? Any pieces? Um, I think we do the season preview stuff. So I yep. got Mitchell Robinson and his potential breakout season should be up Tuesday or Wednesday. Great. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll be on the lookout for that. And just I think the next two weeks will be season previews. So be on the lookout for that. And I believe Q's the first one out the door. Unless We have, we might have something Monday, but be on the lookout for that nonetheless. Um, Kyle, you got anything to plug? Yeah, so uh, again, I'd like to – you know, talk about the Obi shirts. Uh, we got more tweets and, and DMs and uh, even emails about this. So we hear you guys. Uh, I would like to get those shirts back up. I, we are working on a, uh, a solution for that. I'm trying to get this done ahead of the holidays so you guys have time to order. Um, just some complications, but we'll see what we can do to get at least some kind of Obi merch back in. Um, Appreciate everybody who, you know, bought the first batch uh, very, very quickly. Um, but, you know, just, you know, sold out very quickly, trying to work on getting some more for you guys. So we'll, we'll do what we can just as an update. But uh, just check out our, our uh, website anyway. Check out the store. It's designtree.com uh, slash the next wall. So dsgntree.com slash the next wall. So buy some stuff, support the brand, would appreciate it. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, giving it a five-star rating and review helps us keep doing what we do here. And uh, yeah, we'll have some, uh, probably we might have a Pistons preview pod for the, those two games that they're going to have for the preseason. And uh, I, you know, definitely after the first couple of games, we're going to have, you know, lots of reactionary pods and, and definitely articles and things. So, you know, make sure you're subscribed here. You got your alerts set, you know, the Knicks ball saved to your home screen on your phone, bookmarked, whatever you got to do, but uh, we're back. You know, we're excited. We get yeah. some new stuff to talk about, and we're going to have a lot of content for it. So make sure you guys are just checking in daily. And uh, that's basically it. Thanks for the support. And we're just, you know, happy to get underway finally. Another season for you guys. And, you know, some just new new content, new things to talk about. Yeah, well. It's going to be a fun year. I agree. Yeah, I hope so. But make sure you're following the squad. Make sure you're following Quentin. Make sure you're following Kyle. Make sure you're following the next wall. So until next time. All right. Take it easy, guys. Peace.